0: This evening, we're going to consider worshipping God in times of trouble. Worshipping God in times of trouble, we're going to look at the first five verses of Psalm 27. It's very easy to look heavenwards and praise God when you're living in peace with all men. And if you're a Christian, then I trust that's what you would seek to do, to live in peace with with all people, as far as it's possible to do so. However, the reality is that if you are living out your Christian faith as light in the world and as salt of the earth, then whatever peace you experience in this world will inevitably be broken. And when that happens, you need not be surprised about it when you consider that Jesus did say, to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's something we can expect to varying degrees. Trouble in this world, a world that is at enmity against God, hostile against God. In fact, the New Testament speaks oftentimes about persecution and tribulation for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is suffering for Christ's sake inevitable, it is a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous privilege to suffer for no other reason than because you're a Christian. Every time you suffer for Christ's sake, that in itself is evidence, it's experience, it's an experience for you, a Christian experience it's something to encourage you in your and, and to strengthen the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. having that experience and it's more likely to produce praise and thanksgiving in your heart and god honoring worship towards the God of your salvation than if everything was just so easy going all the time and one continuous time of peace and harmony with a Christ hating world. Do you imagine that if everything was like that just peace constant peace in this world you as a Christian you do have a peace passes understanding a peace with God but if you had peace in this world continuously do you really think that you would be praising God with any praise that comes from the heart it's very unlikely you're far more likely to, to be close to God in times of tribulation times of persecution It's not for nothing that God gives us tribulation. And he does that for our good and for his glory. If you have a continuous time of peace and harmony in this world, you know what, and you're worshipping God in that time of continuous peace and harmony, that's easy believism. It's nothing more than that. It results in fluffy man-centred worship and it's not something that we're going to be looking at this evening in Psalm 27, that's for sure. Not a fluffy easy believism uh, which results in fluffy worship. Far from it. What we shall see in Psalm 27 is King David's great desire to worship the Lord and to do so in the midst of God given adversities that the Lord uses in order to draw his saints ever closer to himself the septuagint that is the greek the greek translation of the scriptures gives some additional information in the first verse of psalm 27 it says a psalm of david we've got that i've got that in my king james version here a psalm of david the superscript there the small writing which is all part of the inspired word but the septuagint doesn't just say a psalm of david it says a psalm of david before he was anointed before he was anointed well when was david anointed that's not an easy one to answer but the answer is david King David, he was anointed three times. The first time was when the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house. Jesse was David's father and the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house. And David's seven older older brothers were presented before the prophet and they were all rejected. They were not the Lord's choice for king finally David who was out looking after the sheep he was David was the youngest of the brothers and looking after the sheep he was brought in he was presented to Samuel and Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him as king that's the first time the second time was when the men of Judah anointed David king over the house or the tribe of Judah and that happened after the death of King Saul who had relentlessly pursued David and tried to kill him on various occasions it seems as if David was forever ducking spears that were being thrown by Saul at him the third time that David was anointed was seven years after he'd been anointed king of Judah Seven years later, he was anointed king of the whole of Israel, including Judah. All that can be said, all that can be said with any degree of certainty is that it's most unlikely that Psalm 27 refers to David's life before his first anointing when he was taking care of his father's sheep. That's as much as we can say about it. Anyway, let's have a look at verse 1 here. Verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse one, the Lord is described in three ways. First of all, we see the Lord is David's light. Although you can read about the light of God's countenance and God sending forth his light, When you read the Old Testament, it's only here in verse 1 and also when you get to the New Testament that you read about God or the Lord being light. Not just sending forth his light, but God being light. And in particular, when you get to the New Testament, you read that the Lord Jesus Christ is light. For example, in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Think about that statement for a minute. Who else could make such a claim? It's only God who can claim to be light. The light of the world. And Jesus said precisely that. I am the light of the world. Jesus, who is light, came into this world of sin and darkness, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Even so, by the grace of God, David was someone who loved the light and followed the light as he was led in the path of righteousness. Note that David says the Lord is my light where the name Lord is in capital letters. All four letters are in capital letters. It means Jehovah or the self-existent and everlasting God. We were considering this last, last Sunday evening. It means that Jehovah or the self-existent and everlasting God Is the light. From what has already been considered, never forget that the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. He is Jehovah, the self-existent one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is before all things and by Him were all things created. Jehovah Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who is the light. David also calls Jehovah God his salvation in verse 1. Note that the Lord didn't just save David, the Lord is David's salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Again that points to Jesus. Jesus actually means Jehovah is salvation. Do you remember what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21? He said, referring to Mary, She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. This is Jesus, meaning Jehovah is salvation. Thirdly, David says that the Lord is the strength of his life it is when you when you lean on God's mighty frame that you experience that he is almighty God when you're leaning upon him instead of your own understanding of things and you 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 experience that the weakness of the Lord of Jehovah God is greater than any strength that you might possess And that you come to experience something of that divine strength. Have you done that, folk? Have you just leaned upon God? We're told to do that in Proverbs, aren't we? To to lean on the Lord and not on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord and not on our own understanding. And when you do that, you experience that he is El Shaddai, almighty God. The Apostle Paul was someone who, in his weakness, experienced the power of Jehovah Jesus. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, he besought the Lord Jesus Christ three times in prayer to deliver him from affliction. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul gave the following testimony. He that is Jesus, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's when we know how weak we are, when we recognise our weakness and we lean upon Jesus and cry out to him that we know his strength and that becomes our experience. Most He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I know that Paul was an apostle, but even so, this ought to be the experience of each one of us who are in Christ. Glorying in our infirmities, in our weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon us what more could you want let's have a look at verses two and three when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh they stumbled and fell though an host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war should rise against me in this will i be confident in verse 2 David refers to past encounters with his enemies whom he describes as wicked and he recalls that they came upon him to eat up his flesh and that choice of words describes the intensity of their wickedness and the ferocity of their attack on him. We're not told who the enemy was. Suffice to say that David had many enemies didn't he? not just his predecessor King Saul who used to try and kill David all the time or his enemies, nations such as the Philistines but even his own son Absalom who sought to take the kingship from him having won the hearts of the people. We can very easily apply this to churches and to individual Christians who seek to honour the light of their salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, they also have many enemies, including their own kinsmen, and the attacks of those enemies can also be quite savage at times. Furthermore, the attacks can be extremely subtle, yet destructive all the same, when false teachers creep into churches, infiltrate churches, and when that happens, those impostors masquerade as sheep. But the reality is that they are wolves, ravening wolves. And their father is the devil, who as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. When I, whenever I read that in, in Peter's letter, the, the, the devil as a roaring lion, see, walking around, seeking whom he may devour, I'm thinking primarily that has got to be Christians, it's got to be church fellowships seeking to devour them. He's already got the rest of the world doing his bidding anyway. Therefore, we all need to be sober and vigilant and that comes through prayerfully reading the scriptures as we pray that we might have the discernment to distinguish genuine ministers of the gospel from the counterfeit And also that we might know what is and what is not in agreement with the word of God. And how do you do that? How do you know what is right, what is wrong? When do the alarm bells start ringing? Whether it's in uh, what is being preached, or what is being done, practices, worship, whatever. It's only when you read the scriptures that you'll know this is not right. So look, read the scriptures, do so prayerfully and look to the Holy Spirit to be your guide, your teacher and to guide you in all these matters so that you don't get devoured as well. There are too many churches that are being destroyed because they are led by false teachers. And those teachers really are nothing more than, sh- than wolves in sheep's clothing. And churches that giving, that end up giving them platforms, churches that give these false teachers platforms, they end up being the synagogues of Satan, with blind worshippers being led by blind guides. They throw out the doctrine of the apostles and they embrace secular world views and a social gospel which is devoid of any power to save sinners. Looking at verse 2 again. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Note that the enemies of David stumbled and they fell. If Jehovah Jesus is your light, if he is your salvation, your strength, then thank God that even though you still stumble into sin, which I'm sure you do, I'm sure I'm not the only one, you will never fall into damnation and hellfire. Though you may stumble, you will not fall if you are in Christ Jesus. Praise God that Jesus is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And he is eminently able to do that because he has made you fit for heaven by his sinless obedience in life and in his sacrificial death at the cross. When you consider what Jesus has done, you'll, you'll appreciate that you, though you may stumble... You will never fall. Let's have a look at verse 3. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. This is already the second time that David has said that he will not be afraid of his enemies. The first time was in verse 1, where he said, of whom shall I be afraid? And judging by what we've already considered and judging by what we see in verse 3, the answer to that question, of whom shall I be afraid, is no one. A similar sentiment is expressed by David in Psalm 3 and verse 6, where he says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me Roundabout. So there he is in verse 3 here. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. As a youth, David showed his fearless nature in that in he fought and he killed lions and bears that uh, sought to attack the sheep that he was looking after. Then as a man and king of Israel, David was a formidable and highly successful warrior. As he fought his battles in the strength of the Lord, the Lord being his light and his salvation. Even as a youth, his valour and his trust in God can be seen when he slew the giant Goliath. It needs to be said that being fearful is not consistent with being in Christ you know we don't just look at David here and say wow he was a fearless guy of course he was because the Lord was his light his salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life that's what he says in verse 1 and now here in verse 3 though an host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear he was trusting in God and we don't just limit that to David. So being fearful is not consistent to being in Christ, who is a mighty fortress, fortress for Christians. The apostle John said in Revelation chapter one, 21 rather, 21 eight, but the fearful, which is the cowardly or the timid, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The fearful are people who do not overcome trials and tribulations and who do not endure to the end. They are people who profess Christ, but they do not possess him as their refuge and strength, their very present help in trouble. Even though not all of the redeemed are called to be warrior kings like David, they do nevertheless have a new disposition whereby they ought to be able to say, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do unto me? They say that knowing that they are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, who loved them and gave himself for them. More than conquerors over sin, Jesus he... He dealt a, a decisive blow to Satan on the cross and to sin and to death when you consider the, 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 the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection, but also in everyday life. He, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loved you. And what can man do to you? Nothing. Dear Christian, pray for a holy boldness to repel the fiery darts of your adversary the devil to the end that rather than being fearful and falling away when tribulation or persecution arise you would endure and you would praise and worship the Lord your salvation in times of tribulation more so in fact Uh, Years ago I can remember the people I I was with in my first church there were some of them that had a lot of connections with the church in Russia and it was pretty much an underground church in Russia at that time the true church and there was this communication going on and, uh, the, the folk, the few folk in my church that were in contact with the Russian believers said, we're praying for you. We do pray for you. And they, and they said, well, we're praying for you as well. Because they knew how easy we had it. And, uh, so they were praying for us. We probably needed their prayer more than they needed our prayers, truth be known. Because they were going through tribulations, terrible tribulation, and they were their whole attitude would have been whom have I in heaven but you and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you they were fully focused on Christ anyway because of the situation that they were in but not everyone would be like that would they there would be those who would just evaporate in times of trouble never to be seen again So, we need to pray about these things. Look at verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We're beginning to see now what kind of a person David is, aren't we? And how it is that he's able to say, the Lord, how he's able to say in verse 3 there, though um, my heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. We see why that is in verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Dear Christian, if you were asked what your chief desire is, And you answer truthfully. In other words, you didn't sort of try and read your audience and think, well, what are they expecting from me here? You know, what is your chief desire? Doesn't matter whether you're being interviewed for church membership or else, you're with some ungodly friends, colleagues at work or or chums at school who have no interest in the saviour. And that question is still there. What is your chief desire? Perhaps you're at work and someone says, oh, my chief desire is to win the lottery. Or someone at school, my chief desire is to see to see Man United playing live. Don't know why you'd want to, but anyway. um, You know, and then it comes to you. What is your chief desire? What are you going to say? And you don't answer that now, of course, but you can... Think about it and be honest with yourself. What is your chief desire? What is your heart's desire? What is the thing that you desire more than anything else? It's very clear what David's chief desire was. It was to dwell in the house of the Lord, which in his day was the tabernacle. In one of his other Psalms, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Even as I'm reading that, I'm wondering how many Christians would really say that as I'm looking around this church. Although David had his kingly duties to perform and his battles to fight, battles that kept him away from the house of the Lord, Dwelling in the house of the Lord was nevertheless his chief desire and so it should be for all who have a heavenly hope. As the Bible commentator Albert Barnes said, how can a person be prepared for an eternal heaven who finds the worship of God on earth irksome and tedious? There was a certain prophetess by the name of Anna who was of great age and according to Luke chapter 2 and verse 37 she departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. To me it looks as though Anna's chief desire was the same as David's and what's more she was fulfilling it also she was preparing for eternal heaven. Now, I know that most, if not all of us, do not have that freedom. We don't have the time to stay in the temple and depart not from it. For example, just look at David. It was his desire to be in the temple. But as a warrior king, he most certainly didn't have the freedom to stay in and depart not from the temple. He had other things to do. We may have various things that we have to do. Things that consume our time such as work or school where there are nevertheless wonderful opportunities to proclaim the, the, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we can't be in the temple we can sure proclaim the one who declared himself to be the temple of God in John's Gospel to proclaim Jesus to people. And we can do that in word and in deed, wherever we are. But even so, is it your chief desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life to behold the beauty of the Lord as you consider his glorious attributes, such as his holiness, his love, his mercy, his grace and his justice, all of which are most clearly seen in the incarnate Son of God. Jehovah Jesus. Before you answer that, how about considering this question? I've got a lot of questions for you tonight, haven't I? When you have unbelieving family and friends, you've heard this one from me before, when you've got unbelieving family and friends staying with you, where does your heart's desire lead you to on Sunday? We look at David here again. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, and so on. But what about you, when you've got unbelieving friends or family over visiting you, staying with you? Where does your heart's desire lead you to? To church, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple, or do you give church a miss? Again, that's just something for you to think about. Let's have a look at verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. David was not saying that he hid from his enemies in the tabernacle that was made with human hands, although there was a time when David did hide in a cave, again from King Saul he hid in a cave. David's hiding place was God. As he said in Psalm 32 and verse 7, thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Many of you will know those words, if you don't know it from the psalm, you'll know it from the chorus that is sung with those words that you are my hiding place you preserve me from trouble and compass me about with songs of deliverance not only will you know those words but you'll know the experience if you're trusting in Jesus and he is your pavilion your tabernacle and the rock of your salvation this really should get you to think about what it means to be in Christ you can read that a lot in the New Testament. Being in Christ. Not just trusting in Him, but actually being in Him. And having Jesus as your temple. If by the grace of God, that is the reality of you, for you, having trusted in Jesus as your Saviour, who triumphed over sin, Satan and death, then along with David, you have every reason to say, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do unto me? Amen.